We bow to she who wears the crown. Let the world shiver with dread. Clad in winter's whitest gown, her snow enshrouds the dead. Her fury sheds but frozen tears as gray clouds issue forth. Her wind across the wasteland shears, bringing blizzards from the north. Ice-kissed flowers caught mid-bloom. Beauty kept in all its grace. Summer's gone to its silent tomb, stilling in her cold embrace. All the world in winter's white, sheathed in sleet and ice, set upon never-ending night, she conjures paradise. Behold her everlasting rhyme. See how it covers all. Weep not for those she traps in time behind her glacial wall. Sovereign of summer's lost, general of winter's war. Long live the queen of cold and frost. May she reign forevermore. Hello and welcome to this episode in the Podcasts of the Frost Maiden series, celebrating the release of D&D's newest book, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Hello, I'm Jason, the producer of the Adventure They Wrote podcast, and today I am going to be DMing our adventure rather than playing, giving our usual DM, Fletch, a chance to roll some dice as a brand new PC. We're also joined by a great friend of the show and frequent contributor to the DMs Guild, Bianca Bickford. Personally, I am really excited about Icewind Dale. This has been one of my favorite settings in D&D for a very long time, and this book is just fantastic. I'm really excited for everyone to get a hold of it and read it and play it. It's going to be great. So without further ado, let's jump in to the fate of Devden Varel. We open in the frozen north, beyond the spine of the world, in the unforgiving Icewind Dale. And though the Frost Maiden's nightly spell covers the land in a never-ending darkness, a small flicker of civilization known as the Ten Towns still endures. Our story begins in the town of Goodmead, located on the northern banks of Redwaters. Goodmead has it all. The Frost Maiden's rhyme has taken its toll, but the namesake mead of the town still flows and business is still booming. All of the other ten towns have a gigantic demand for this mead, so there are people in and out of town all the time. Most of the time, friendly travel, merchants, traders, folks coming to pick up barrels of mead, or the locals heading out to make deliveries. But three days ago, a group of local children playing in the forest between Goodmead and Dugan's Hole discovered a body frozen in a cave. Frightened, the kids ran back to town and told the first person that they bumped into, Orv Drybarrel. So, Fletch, if you would, please introduce Orv. I will indeed. Orv Drybarrel is a dwarven artificer. Uh, and some of our audience might not be familiar with the artificer because it's not necessarily one of those classic fantasy tropes. Um, this is a relatively recent addition to Dungeons & Dragons uh, that came out with, or at least the fifth edition Dungeons & Dragons. It came out with the Eberron book. 
artificers are like wizards that cast their spells through items, uh, objects that they tinker with. They approach wizardry uh, as a process to be um, dissected and figured out. Uh, there's a scientific element to uh, the sorcery that they um, that they do. So Orv Drybarrel uh, is a dwarf. He's the scion of the uh, Drybarrel uh, Brewery, um, but he has forsaken the traditional methods of brewing for this uh, arcane scientific approach. And now he travels Faerun looking for new flavors and new methods to improve his concoctions. Uh, and he is in good mead because they got good mead. <laughs> this sounds autobiographical. There's this. Yeah, we were we were talking before about what influenced our characters. Uh, I influenced my character. This is this is a little bit like what Fletch would be like in Faerun. Like, let's go find <laughs> let's go find the good stuff. And uh, what does Orv look like? He's a shaggy dwarf, uh, even by dwarven standards. Uh, but very approachable. He's a, a, a very affable dwarf. His travels have kind of opened his eyes to all the people of Faerun. And in addition to finding new new flavors and new methods for brewing, uh, he's also looking to make new friends and, um, you know, uh, meet new people. And how long has Orv been up in Icewind Dale? By the time our story starts, he's been here for a few weeks. He's really looking to figure out what the secret behind Goodmead is, uh, and thus far he's been unable to figure it out. There's something magical about this Goodmead, and while Orv desperately wants to figure out what that is, um, the recipe has remained secret and the brewer's tight-lipped. All right, and uh, what is your one magic item? My one magic item is the Staff of Flowers. Uh, this is not a combat item. Orv is not a... Uh, you know, he can defend himself if he has to, but he's not a, a, a real, he's not looking for a fight. So the Staff of Flowers is a staff that allows him to make flowers from the staff whenever he wants. Nice. And, and how do you use that? Or, or uses the Staff of Flowers to create barley that he uses to brew his beer. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, Orv, being a scientist by nature and immediately curious, headed into the woods, determined to retrieve the corpse before twilight faded into total darkness. Upon arriving at the cave, Orv realized that the body wasn't just a wandering nomad or a ne'er-do-well from Dugan's Hole. It was somebody he recognized, one of the officers of the Goodmead Militia, Devden Varel. Orv, you loaded your the body of Dev into your dog sled, and you headed back into town, where you immediately went to Devden's fellow officer in the militia, daughter of the town speaker, Roga Rylesbarrow. And uh, that is our new friend, Bianca, who is playing Roga. Would you please introduce Roga? Absolutely. Uh, as Orv approaches her, the, probably the first thing he would notice is her height, especially because he's a dwarf. Uh, she's close to seven foot tall, so she would just tower over him. Uh, she has uh, tawny skin and uh, black hair that she has braided up into a mohawk. And she's wearing the typical clothing that you'd find someone that lives natively in Ten Towns. And um, you can see from what she's wearing that she is uh, identifiable as part of the militia. She is generally quiet. Uh, Roga tends to be quiet. She 
spends most of her time patrolling the forest that's nearby, uh, and of course breaking up fights at the Mead Hall, the biggest feature of Good Mead. And although she comes across very stern, once she starts getting a few drinks and going out with her friends, she's pretty quick to laugh and she blushes and uh, seems to relax a lot, but she always keeps her glaive nearby. Uh, and if her hands are idle, you'll find her making scrimshaw. I like it. Now, Dev is missing the middle finger of his left hand. And one of the things that he enjoyed doing when he was talking to people that he didn't like, but that he did not want to offend outright, was just to like hold up his fisted hand as if he was flipping them off. But because he does not have a middle finger, he would, it's just, you know, like he's just holding up his hand in a fist. <laughs> and uh, Roga would, like, if Roga saw him doing that, she would laugh because she knows that he's just flipping this person the bird, but not because he doesn't have <laughs> a middle finger on his left hand. <laughs> Orv and Roga have Debden's body, and they take him to the hottest place that they can find because his his body is frozen. And they take him to the Good Mead Roastery, where artisans roast and dry everything from coffee beans to the signature blend of spices that give the town's mead its sought-after flavor. So, Orv, um, the fact that you were let in here is uh, is a high sign of kind of trust, but more that they are very concerned about their, um, their friend, Dev. And um, it's been three days since you brought the body back and since he has been in repose in the roasting house, one of the hottest places in Goodmead, and his body is still frozen solid. With no answers to what happened, uh, Roga has procured a writ from her father, the town speaker, to take Debden's body to Bryn Shander for an autopsy. And that is where we are going to officially begin this adventure. What would you guys like to do? Can I roll a post-dated investigation check for the interior of the roastery to see if I can get an idea what spices are going into good mead? <laughs> yes, absolutely. That is not where I thought you were going. Not at all. Yes. You know, you know where Orv's head is. Uh, 13 on the dice, that's 18. 18. Yes, so... Um, the fact that you are a brewer by nature, you can, you recognize a lot of the flowers, a lot of the spices, a lot of the individual ingredients that they use. The problem that you are discovering is that the amounts and the way that they mix them together is that is their closely guarded secret. And so that is all happening behind the closed doors of the roasting hall. But um, you do recognize you are able to to pick out all, a whole bunch of the different spices and uh, seeds and things like that that they're using. Excellent. Excellent. Roga, one of the things that you know is that Devden hadn't been around for a few days, but this wasn't unusual. He would go on hunting and trapping trips in the woods mm -hmm. west of Goodmead every few 10 days to bring back food for the family and to help his friend, the local butcher. Would Roga think that this particular trip was different for any reason? Like where he was found, is that normally kind of the area that he goes? The area that he was found is actually, give me a history check. Oh, I got lucky. That's a 19. Uh, all right. So um, the, era, the cave where he was found has been 
a uh, play spot for children in Goodmead for generations. Uh, it is likely that Dev played there when he was a kid. Um, the the kids who found him have been using that as a hideout and a and a fort for a long time too. So, um, it it was very familiar to lots of people in town. But no, this there's nothing about him being away that would have been odd or different or raised any suspicions at this point. Right. And I'm assuming that Roga can see through the ice enough to see what he's wearing. Anything that stands out to be different? Um, roll a... Give me a perception check, but with advantage because you do know Dev very well. Uh, that would have been a five, so thank you for the advantage. That is a 17. 17. Okay, so despite the fact that he is frozen solid, uh, his body is... uh, He's wearing everything that you would normally expect him to be wearing underneath his armor when he is kitted out as a member of the militia. So lightly armored, right? Like padding and um, the, the... pants with the like the pads on the thighs and the knees and things like that it looks like if he was wearing armor it had been taken off before he died and are there any marks like from a weapon or from an animal on his body not that you can see did uh did uh dev hunt with anyone else or did he go out on his own he always hunted alone unsafe risky he knew how to take care of himself uh evidence to the contrary (laughs) This is probably that she would turn and stare at him really for the first time. I think at that comment, maybe she wouldn't care about him poking around uh, the building or trying to figure out the metery. But as soon as that little comment slips, Roga just turns and stares at him. Sorry. And then she goes back to looking at the body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so before they head out, Roga would stop by and talk to her father, kind of get him caught up on what happened, um, make sure that she told him where where she's going. Travel in the area is not gotcha. taken lightly, so she would probably check in first and make sure everybody knew that she was heading out. Yes, so as you're doing that and you're getting your wagon ready to go, it's about a six-hour transit from Goodmead to Bryn Shander. Um, uh, or if make a perception check as she is getting things ready to go. Ooh, not very perceptive. We got a five. Five? That's right. It's a five. So you see a bunch of kids kind of huddled around, like talking and, you know, like that. But as soon as they see you turn, they scatter. Uh, Roga, as you are getting ready to get everything, like get Dev's body loaded onto the onto the wagon and start heading out towards um, Bryn Shander. Uh, your father, the town speaker, uh, he tells you that uh, you should stay at the Hooked Knucklehead. It's a, uh, a tavern there in Bryn Shander. Uh, but he also knows that the House of the Triad, who has clerics, who deal in all manner of magical maladies and that they might be able to help you because it is a, it's a temple that, that has acolytes of Torm, of Tyr, and of Ilmater. And uh, so he, he recommends going to that t- 
temple to try to get help. As you're getting everything ready, um, you overhear somebody talking about the fact that before Devden went out on his hunting trip, he had a fight with his friend, the butcher. His name is Cobb Garrick. He owns Garrick's Butchery. Did anyone say what they fought about? Uh, no, just that there was a fight. Uh, she would check that out before leaving and invites Orv to come with her. So if you guys stop into Garrick's Butchery, uh, you find Cobb working on an enormous side of beef. He's got huge gloves and a gigantic cleaver. He's got a face covering. Um, the works, right? Like he's he's in there. Like he's just bones deep um, chopping up this this huge side of beef. And uh, as you come in, he kind of turns and he's like, uh, "What? take a look at the display case. Um, let me know if you need anything. Rogan will do the head nod and, and greeting and say, not here to shop, I'm afraid. Trying to find out what happened to Dev, but... Word around town is that the two of you were in a fight before he left. He stops and kind of, you know, like as if as if there was music playing somewhere. He does, you know, like he if 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 it was modern day, he would reach over and he would kind of turn the music down and kind of tilt his head. And he's like, a fight? No, like Dev helped put this shop together. I wouldn't have a shop if it wasn't for Dev. Roga would like to insight check, although she's not very good at it. All right. Give me that insight check. Oh, man, I'm getting lucky today. That is a 16. 16. Um, you can't really tell because he's you, like you can't you can't really make eye contact with him because he's got the face shield down mm. and, you know, like he's he's in his big leather apron and things like that. So he's it sounds like he is confident in his answer, but because you can't see his face, you can't really get a read on him. Jason, Orv is going to try to Columbo Cobb a little bit. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, as Roga asks her question, um, Orv is just kind of, he's going to step behind the counter to where Cobb is working on the side of beef, and he's going to say... Oh, looks like you could use some help there. And with his cook's utensils, he's just going to dive in and start helping carve the side of beef with Cobb. He does not react kindly to that. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. People come here for the for the signature Cobb Garrick cuts of meat. I I appreciate you. I've seen you around town. Um, I, I, I feel like I have fed you many meals um, but I, I would appreciate it if you would please step back behind the counter we have um, safety guidelines we have health health risks health hazards I don't and he kind of um, not in a threatening or like overly physical way but he kind of tries to shoo you away from the side of beef. Orv is interfering with a meat artist's work. (laughs) (laughs) An artisan of meat. Hmm. I'm trying to figure out if he, if Orv is going to push the issue. Yeah, he is. I I, I really want to throw him off. So Orv is going to say he's going to like try to get 
like even deeper into the side of meat with his ungloved hands. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, I want I want Orv and like he's Orv is in like a, a long jacket too, so I want the jacket like in the the beef as well. <laughs> yeah, lint, l- little sticks, bits of grass, all of it. Uh, and Orv is going to say, oh, no, don't worry about it. I know what I'm doing. Cobb is going to turn to Roga and is going to, like, both hands in the air, cleaver in the right hand, and say, will you do something about this, please? I mean, I would, but I just, I'm so distracted by what happened to my friend Dev, my dear friend, Dev. He, so Cobb puts down the cleaver, and raises up the face shield and is like, look, I am just as devastated as everyone else about what happened to Dev. It's been three days since his body has been found. Why aren't you out there looking for who killed him? Why do you think I'm here? Do you think that I killed him? You're the only person that's been mentioned since all of this happened, that you got into a fight and you're not telling me why. Uh, roll, both of you roll an insight check. Sounds like I'm insight this side of beef. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, that is a natural 20. Natural 20. Um, when he exclaims, do you actually, like, the? do you think that I killed him? It is genuine surprise that anyone would think that he killed Dev. It is honest, genuine surprise. Would... And that's not really where she would push, I don't think, but she knows that if everyone around town, because it's a very small town, is saying that they got into a fight, they got into a fight. So that's where she's really trying to push is that he's lying. So if you if you push that issue, he's like, look, I I may have overpromised on a delivery of meat. I may have asked for a little too much from Dev and he may have been a little frustrated with me I don't think that that is a fight so much as a business disagreement but I I don't know who would have heard that so I don't I don't know so you asked him to hunt for more than as usual well I mean yeah uh, yeah, I guess he said no. Well, why would you? Why would you need that? You know, we don't want to overhunt. Make an insight check one more time. Oh, man, I think my luck's gonna run out, but I will try. <laughs> I've been doing so good. Oh man, seventeen. I got a seventeen too. All right. Nice. All right. You start to see a little bit of sweat, like more, and, and not like the sweat that he would have from chopping up a side of beef but he's like "Ah, I saw I saw something that I knew that I could turn a tiny profit on and I know that if I tell you you are going to get mad at me so I'm just going to say that I asked Dev to hunt something that he did not want to hunt I may have pressed the issue. He may have stormed out of here, but that is it. That is it. Roga will close the distance so she's about six inches from his face. <laughs> and just and she's going to lean down a little bit because she's pretty tall. Right. And say, what did you tell him 
to hunt. Orva's Orva's going to follow up. He's going to say, "Yeah, I think we should probably know." And then with that, he's going to rip like a gob of meat out of the side of beef. <laughs> <laughs> so that as you do that, it it legitimately throws Cobb off of his like off of this line that he's on and he looks and he's like ah, it's, would you stop that Roga I I am happy to answer all of your questions once you come back from Bryn Shander with answers about what happened to Dev but right now all I know is that I asked him to hunt down a polar bear he said no I said okay after some heated words. That's it. Roga straightens back up and just glares at him and takes a couple of steps back. They're a delicacy. Orville will, will he'll he'll remove his hands from the side of beef and try to like dust them off. <laughs> but they're just covered in blood. So he's like clapping bloody hands, just making more of a mess. So um, after a few minutes for Orv to, uh, I don't know, maybe change, maybe not, maybe, maybe wash his hands. The two of you hit the road to Bryn Shander. Mm-hmm. You, you take the road out of Goodmead North. You hit the east way. You take it west and you arrive at Bryn Shander uh, through the east way entrance. Would you like to head towards the hooked knucklehead, the, the inn? Or the House of the Triad, the temple. Jason, I want to go back real quickly with Orv. Um, so, uh, during our trip, uh, Orv's, Orv's whole inspiration into becoming an artificer and studying the science of magic, um, I want him to be studying Dev on the way to Bryn Shander. So... Cool. Kind yeah. of taking measurements and look, uh, observing the uh, the frozenness and whether it changes coming out of the um, the sm- uh, the the roastery, you know, during the day and during the night, uh, or I mean, what would be the day and the night? Uh, he's. I want him taking little measurements and sort of analyzing the frozenness as they go. So uh, I'm not even going to make you roll for this. Um, as you do that, you can tell that Dev's level of frozenness does not change. He is frozen solid as if he was just pulled from the cave despite having spent three days inside the roastery, despite being taken out of the roastery, into the cold, into the wagon, along the road. It, there is absolutely no change. So in Orv's little journal, he's got like frozosity and then under it a bunch of different things that should influence it and little X's next to all of them. Gotcha. Heat, night, all that thing. At some point, Roga would lean back and say, what are you doing back there? Because she would have no no concept of your the measurements and the note-taking. She's just never seen anything like that. Yeah. Orv is going to say, well, I call it the scientific method. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. She nods um, like she understands, but she really doesn't. So she's like, mm. So as our wagon approaches Bryn Shander, um, Orv will approach one of the guards, uh, very friendly, and he'll say, well, hey there, bud. Uh, I'm hoping you can point us in the direction of 
the hook knucklehead and the house of the triad. The guard nods and he's like, just keep going straight. You can't miss the uh, house of the triad. It's the big temple. It's the one with the three points. Uh, hook knucklehead, uh, a little more difficult. Um, go in, uh, go straight, take a right, take a left, take another right, take another left, and uh, go around the big round thing. And uh, it's the one with the sign of the knucklehead trout uh, with a hook in its mouth. So Orville nod and then wait a beat and then turn to uh, Roga and say, Oh, I think we should go to the house of the triad first. Definitely. <laughs> and then we'll keep going straight. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, you both arrive at the house of the triad. And uh, it's this, it is a temple. Now, Bryn Shander is the biggest of the ten towns. It is the one town of the ten towns that has a full wall all the way around it. It is also the only of the ten towns that does not have direct access to one of the lakes. There is Mare de Walden, there's Loch Denishire, and the Redwaters. Um, Redwaters is uh, Dugan's Hole and Goodmead. Uh, Dugan's Hole and Goodmead had a huge, still do have a huge rivalry. I, I believe you mean it is Goodmead and Dugan's Hole because Goodmead always comes first. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Roga would correct you. <laughs> yes. There are all manner of folks that live in Bryn Shander. Uh, fishermen, fur trappers, merchants, uh, mercenaries, criminals, other less reputable types. And um, do you pull up to the temple? You have your, your uh, wagon with your dead body in the back. And um, as you go in, you... You come into the entrance, and there is uh, a small desk with a uh, a person in um, what looks like uh, basic cleric's robes. Uh, I should have clarified sooner. I'm trying to picture how Roga would carry in Devden's body. What position is he frozen in? He was found on uh, prone, like on his stomach, uh, with his left arm out in front of him and his right arm trapped underneath him as if he was he froze as soon as he hit the ground. That's better than arms and legs out as wide as they can go. Yeah. <laughs> Spread eagle in like a human a human star. What's his expression? His expression. Oh, that is a good question. It is an expression of, like, you don't need to make a reception. You're, you're carrying a frozen body. Um, it is an expression of, like, resigned to my fate. Eyes closed, but not in anguish or anger or uh, terror or anything like that. Just kind of accepting, if that makes any sense, as it relates to a dead body. So she will try not to awkwardly carry his body because she does care about her friend, but she's trying to, you know, make her way inside the temple up to this the cleric at the front desk, basically. <laughs> carrying but, her friend. You, But you do have the frozen body of Dev. Oh, yeah. You. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. So the cleric, as you guys walk up to this desk, the cleric says, Welcome to the house of the triad. May the light of the three guide you through this everlasting darkness. How may we... Oh... <laughs> Oh, no, nope, 
No. Um, I am guessing that you don't have an appointment if you are coming in the front door with this into our house of worship. Um, Rogo raises an eyebrow. Um, here is the thing. Um, we don't we don't have anyone available for immediate resurrection or whatever it is that you may need. And if you will picture this cleric kind of putting both of his hands out in front of him as if to to try to distance himself from you with this body. <laughs> and um, uh, as this is happening, um, I would love for Sam to introduce his character who is overhearing this happen. Sure. Uh, so... Off in the distance, overhearing this conversation is Kai, and Kai is standing in very drab gray robes of Ilmater. Uh, you can recognize he is wearing uh, what any cleric or priest of Ilmater would wear uh, as far as the robes. He's dressed a little bit more for the climate in that he has a fur cloak and he's wearing heavy fur-lined gloves. Uh, but he's not wearing anything to cover his face, which is, um, in a word, beautiful. Like, Kai's a really handsome, young half-elf with golden tan skin and just brilliant emerald eyes and uh, chestnut hair that's tied up into a topknot. And he's holding an ebony quarterstaff in one hand and bright red prayer beads in the other, and he makes his way over, uh, and Kai asks, what, 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 what do we have here? Orv is going to hold up his journal in one hand, and he's going to point to Devlin, or Devden, with the other, and he's going to say, oh, I think you're going to want to take a look at this. This guy's frozosity is off the charts. <laughs> oh my. Frozosity off the charts, and Kai looks over at the cleric at the desk to uh, gauge a reaction. The cleric at the desk looks over in a mix of both uh, shock that you would come over and insert yourself into their business, but also immense relief that they do not have to deal with this business anymore. With an, with, and just kind of the slightest, the slightest of nods in the affirmative. Like, please do. Roga kind of starts to reach out with the body as if she's going to hand it off to Kai. <laughs> Kai doesn't really know how to react to that, and he doesn't make any gesture as if he's going to take the body, but he will hold up his his left hand with the beads and say, "I actually, I have an idea. Um, I know that there's a mortician in town, and that might be a better place than the church here. Um, and my sled and, and my hound are outside. We can we can take that over. Orv will say, oh, okay. But he's also going to be disappointed that no one wanted to look at his journal. <laughs> <laughs> Kai then heads out. You know, he sort of gestures out towards um, one of the side doors and um, sees if, you know, he gives that sort of like follow me look and, and kind of heads in that direction. 
Do you guys follow Kai? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So you guys walk out of the temple, uh, much to the relief of the the <laughs> cleric. Claire, how do I want to? I want to combine cleric and receptionist. The clairceptionist at the at the desk, and um, as you walk out, you see the smallest. Uh, it uh, you wouldn't even call it a dog sled. It's like it's it's a single person, single dog conveyance, and uh, you see this enormous. Enormous Saint Bernard. That's how we got to school in Minnesota. <laughs> oh yeah. You're describing Brad um, and Talia's and I childhood. <laughs> so yeah, you see this this like single person sled, if you want to call it that. Um, that uh, Sam, I I don't know if this is something you want in in the show, but uh, while we were discussing it last night, it was uh, as if. Sam's cleric, if Kai were to ride a bicycle, this would be the the Icewind Dale equivalent. Oh my god. Nice. I'm imagining I'm imagining a toboggan with just a like hemp rope tied to the collar of a Saint Bernard. It's a little bit more elaborate like that. It's almost like it was made for a child. And and that's what Kai uses. And um, Kai also is not lightweight. Uh, you can actually tell that he's a half elf and not an elf because um, he's um, he's somewhat rotund. He's not um, not a small guy. I actually gave uh, Kai my exact height and weight, so um, so that you know that I'm not fat shaming here. Um, but Lots yeah, of fried knucklehead trout. Yeah, yeah. he's uh, which. It strikes you as kind of unusual because in the Ten Towns, food's a, a pretty scarce resource uh, with the extended winter. But uh, Kai looks, he looks well fed. And um, yeah, so the St. Bernard kind of just gives this look like, I don't want to pull this guy on the sled. Then <laughs> uh, you know, Kai says, oh, Bernie, um, I'm, I'm going to need, need your help with this and sort of motions and pets the dog and, and gestures for you to put the body on the sled uh, that um, that Bernie is um, willing to pull. Jason, would a dog react to Roga differently? No, I I don't think that it would react to you differently. It might give you a head tilt and a, a, a sort of you know like a, some some extra snuffles, mm-hmm. you know, some some sniffing, but no, nothing nothing of um, nothing not right now. Okay, that's fair. Okay. He says with a knowing look. <laughs> uh, Rogan, Roga will look at the sled, look in her arms at Devden, and just shake her head no at Kai. Roga says, I, "I got this. I'll carry him. It's not far, right?" Not, not terribly far. No, we'll we'll head over there straight away, and uh, then Kai will get on the sled and uh, give a little gentle tug to let Bernie know that, that he's ready to go. Under his breath Orva's gonna say, well that's okay I didn't want to ride anyway. Don't don't worry about me. I'll just be, I'll just be walking back here with my short little legs. <laughs> I love the picture of a seven foot barbarian yeah. carrying a frozen body over one shoulder. A dwarf 
and a half elf in a single seater, <laughs> single dog sled, like running down the street. And uh, so, yeah, it you you transit the couple of blocks uh, over to where um, the mortician that. Kai has been assigned to so this uh, there are a, a number of different places where the dead are taken care of inside Bryn Shander, and each one has sort of a contract with the different temples and uh, so this specific mortician has a contract with the, uh, the house of the triad and because Kai is relatively new uh, he has been assigned to this mortician he has not quite, or uh, he has not yet uh, come in to perform any rites or funeral services or any, like any sort of um, turning of undead or anything that uh, a mortician might need. I am totally picturing uh, Sir Didymus from Labyrinth as Kai is trying to like work with Bernie. Just is like that kind of like <laughs> <laughs> dissidence between him and the dog. Like that poor dog is trying his best. Oh my god, it's so good. So as you enter and you you step down into this room, um, it's there are lantern lights all the way around lighting up this room as bright as it can be. Uh, there are the different um, tables where uh, dead bodies would be placed. There are no dead bodies in this room. And um, uh, as you come in, body over the shoulder, uh, down these steps, this mortician is a tall, thin man with the, the little round glasses um, stands up and he was like, I wasn't expecting, I wasn't, this This is... Orva's going to hold up his journal and he's going to point up at the body and he's he's going to say, yeah, we've got a real issue with some frozosity over here. The mortician is going to like kind of tilt the head and take that in and nod like a knowing nod and you can you can see that he has he has written that down in his mind is there an open table yes okay kai will step forward with a, a warm greeting and oh i'm i'm kai from the from the house of the triad and um i've been assigned here but you you haven't called on me yet uh and and these these two here they they just came into town with well y- you can you can see this this frozen body's not alive anymore so i figured it would be natural to to take it here straight away the mortician turns and gives kai like the long up and down glance like all the way up and all the way down and says i was assigned a cleric not a youth minister. Oh. Don't you have a teenager whose soul you need to save? <laughs> oh. And so as you hear this, you notice a few things about Kai that maybe weren't rapidly apparent. One is his robes are pristine. Uh, usually a, a cleric of Ilmater is out in battlefields tending to wounded uh, they're there to give you know warriors their last rites in in these heroic and epic battles and it doesn't really look like Kai's been anywhere around that kind of action um, 
It's also really strange that he has nothing at all covering his his face, his hair, his ears. It is freezing outside, and he's just walking around with no hat on, no head covering, like it's nothing. So he does look really youthful and out of place in this you know sort of rugged, frozen frontier environment. And um, his face actually turns a little bit red when when the mortician says this and and his eyes get really big and um uh, how about how about i i tend to the body um oh, i'll i'll focus my efforts there the mortician turns he's like ah i'm just messing with you come on <laughs> like put the he points to a table and he's like put it over here uh he comes over and he kind of runs a uh, gloved hand over the, the surface of the body and uh, looks up at Roga and says, how long has he been like this? Orv is going to try to like elbow her out of the way and he's like frantically opening up his journal at this point. Absolutely. And he's yeah. got the She's he's almost got the expecting charts. it, yeah. Yeah, and he's just like, oh, well, you can see here, I, I've, I've been monitoring and he's just <laughs> like in exhausted but super excited detail. He's going over all of his numbers and just talking about like how long it's been this way, how consistent the temperature is, the temperature of the roastery room and how it had no effect. He's just like so thrilled that someone is interested to hear about his <laughs> scientific method. Fletch, the player, please take inspiration for that moment. <laughs> nice. Um, but also the mortician immediately, immediately turns and is engrossed in your notes. He is just over everything and he reads a line and then reaches down and kind of puts his gloved hand on Dev's shoulder and then reads another line, reaches down puts his fingertips on Dev's forehead and he's like, okay so three days inside of a roastery and he is still in this state um we're gonna need we're going to need some outside help for this. And uh, you see him kind of walk over and, like, open up a door and yell, Lucial, if you might grace us with your presence, please. I would love for Brad to introduce his character. I would be happy to. Lucialfast Madrigorn is a ancient elf. He's 837 years old. And he is the beneficiary of a golden dragon's bloodline. So for his father and his father and his father have all been gold dragon sorcerers. And uh, he has noticed that over the generations, they've been getting more and more powerful. And so he has decided not to heir any children because he's worried that if he has a child, it'll be too powerful. Uh, He is very slender and tall with long white hair. He wears fine elven robes of gold and white. You might think that he's taller than everyone else, unless he stood right next to Roga, and then it would be obvious that he isn't because he's so slender and thin. And he is a sorcerer, a gold dragon sorcerer, like I said. So, Lucial, you have been called in by the mortician because you are particularly adept at dealing with all things fire. Um, as a gold dragon blood sorcerer, um, fire is kind of in your nature. And um, 
So, what would you like to do? Yeah, Lucille will kind of sweep into the room, uh, appraise the situation, look at the table, the dwarf, the extremely tall human, and the mortician, and the half-elf, and pause for a moment, put his finger to his lip and go, hmm, interesting. He'll walk over and say, what is the issue here? Kai will look towards the others. Orv is going to hold up his journal and he, with one hand, and he points to the body with the other hand. And he's going to say, oh, we've got an issue with some frozosity over here. <laughs> the mortician is going to kind of chuckle at the word frozosity. And, uh, but he points to the journal and he, and he says, uh, Orv here has taken phenomenal notes. Apparently, this body has been frozen solid for at least three days inside of a roasting house. So I'm curious. Um, and the, the mortician will look at Roga uh, because Roga was the, the person carrying the body when they came in. And uh, he'll say, do you mind if we forcibly attempt to thaw him out? Roga's eyes will narrow a little bit and then say, I think that's what we've been trying to do uh, with the roasting house, so I don't see what other harm could happen. But yes, please please do be careful. He, is, he was a friend. The mortician will, like, he's going to glance from from Lucial to Orv to Roga, down at the body, back to Lucial, back to Orv, and say, did you put the body directly on the flames in the roastery? Orv will say, no. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, I think, uh, at this point, Rogo would back up to kind of give them room to work because she knows she's not going to contribute too much to this. And so she'll back up and lean up against the wall. Lucio will look at Orv and say, may I? And, and reach towards his book. Yeah, Orv is only too happy to hand it over. <laughs> While this is happening, Kai goes over and you can hear him muttering. Uh, and he's also clutching the red prayer beads uh, that that he's holding, and he takes out two uh, copper coins that he places over the eyes of the corpse, and and pinches a little bit of salt, and um, he casts gentle repose. As you do that, as you attempt to put the coins on the eyes, because of the position of the body, there is a little bit of moisture on your fingers, just a, just a slight bit that also transfers to the coins. And then as you press them against his eyes, they kind of freeze to the body. Kai gasps when that, that happens and, and takes a sudden step back and, and just keeps muttering to the beads. One of the things that you noticed as, um, as Kai was, was casting the spell and, and was you know, sort of leaning over the corpse out from his robe, you could see what looked like like horse hair, like tufts of it coming out from um, from like where his collar would be. And um, you notice that it kind of agitates Kai and he sort of like itched at it a little bit while he was was working. All right. So you cast Gentle Repose. Lucial, what do you do? Uh, so Lucial be, will be uh, using the, the book that Orv gave him. And, hmm, and saying stuff like, interesting, yes, as he cast Detect Magic. 
as you cast Detect Magic, you see the the slight shimmer of Kai's necromancy uh, of gentle repose as it's kind of working its way through Dev's body. The majority of what you see, the the vast, like, overpowering everything else is a strong evocation that is centered in Dev's chest and like as you are looking at it you can see it just kind of radiating out from the center out to his extremities okay Lucius produces a pen from his robes and is writing in in the book adding notes as he hums and haws Without looking up, Lucio will say, Have you determined if he is alive or dead? Um, the mortician kind of sweeps his arm and points toward Kai, uh, towards Kai and says, That's why we have a cleric here, just in case anything happens once we do get this guy thawed out. And um, he, you see him put on a new pair of leather gloves, and he comes over and he attempts to reposition the body but with it being frozen it doesn't really do anything and then uh, he looks up at you Lucial and says um what do you think should we try some fire on an extremity you want to try the hand (laughs) Lucia will will pull a little hammer off of like the mortician's tools or a little something like that and he'll chip off a piece of hair (laughs) it will not come off hmm Orv, from, like, Lucio's elbow, Orv will pipe up and say, well, you should probably write that down there. <laughs> yes, th- thank you. <laughs> Frozification's extreme. <laughs> yeah, frozosity, it's, it's off the charts. <laughs> now, as, as all of this is happening, as the mortician is... is doing things as Roga is leaning up against the wall as Kai is over in the corner um, making his his own notes about um, the way that the gentle repose and the coins froze to the eyes um, your Lucial your detect magic is still happening and you see suddenly the evocation that is radiating from center mass of this body from the extremities out, you see it start to recede quickly. And as it is receding, you see his uh, his arm, his legs, his, uh, his other arm that's kind of tucked underneath his head, uh, his hair, start to thaw. Not in a overly gross way or in a in a weird way it's just it's as if the frozen nature of his body is going from outside into the center and then as you are watching this magical force that only you can see through detect magic that evocation that blue evocation snuffs out and you see his in, this entire body just kind of relax from the the stiffness that it was in and it settles into the table as just a dead body with a, a thin layer of moisture over it. The two coins that had been frozen to the eyes fall, clatter onto the table. He is now completely prone 
and in a relaxed state that you could turn, move, do whatever you need to. Rogo will cry out and push herself off of the wall and, and yell his name, Devdin, and just run over and, and grab him just to see if he's alive. He is not. Lucia would like to do an arcana check. She's just looking at Kai with with hope. Lucia, uh, please, yes, please do make me an arcana check. That's a four in the die ten. It looks like whatever spell had been residing inside Dev's body has run its course and is now it has now ended. Um, Orv is going to roll an arcana check too. All right, go for it. Little bit better. Nineteen on the dice plus three, twenty-two. So with your twenty-two, um, uh, I'm going to uh, just interject that in conversation that has been happening around the table uh, across the notebook and across the with the mortician looking and doing things and Lucia looking and doing things that the word evocation has come up. Yeah, Lucia would have described what happened as the. Right. The fading away kind of deal. With his description of how this came came to be, uh, and a 22 on your Arcana check, um, you can surmise that whatever happened to Dev, he was hit with a spell that froze him, and now this spell has ended, has run its course. And now, with the body... In a position, uh, in a position to be able to be looked at and to be examined, the mortician sort of straightens up and says, "All right, friends, um, please have has some seats um, and let me let me get to work." And he turns, he takes a requests from Roga, sort of not in a verbal way, but in like kind of motions, like please allow me to take his shoulders and turn him over. So Kai will step over at that point. And uh, the first thing he's going to do is um, briefly touch um, Roga on the shoulder that's closest to him. uh, And, and he'll make like a a sort of like just a a comforting gesture, um, acknowledging that, that this was someone that um, that Roga was close to, and he is actually going to, in addition to making the the gesture, actually cast calm emotions. So he's going to add a little bit of magic and prayer behind that gesture um, to allow Roga to relax, because this will, you know seeing someone you're close to being autopsied is a horrible experience. Um, so he'll cast that. And uh, he's concerned because he knows that when those coins fall out of the eyes that it actually breaks the spell of gentle repose. They have to stay there. Um, But it looks like the mortician is turning the body over and so the coins are going to fall out anyway. So he's just more wandering over to the table to see what's going on. Yeah, so the, the mortician's intent was to get Dev onto his back so that he could put the little the little block under the neck and uh, straighten his head out and get him you know like get him nice and straight and level so that he can run his examination. So in that event, uh, once he gets him that way, as soon as he receives permission from Roga to do such, um, you would be able to replace the coins because he would be face up in that moment. I think Roga would acknowledge the request and do it for him that she kind of feels like that's her 
it's her friend, so she would be the one to, to kind of help move the body and stuff like that. So she would, after he described that, would uh, turn him over. The mortician will kind of di- direct you, like, please place him here. Uh, he'll hand you the little the neck block to put under his neck. And, um, and then, uh, Kai, if you want to walk over and uh, replace the coins, you can do so. Yeah, he'll replace the coins and go through the ceremony again and, you know, mutter the incantations while clutching his prayer beads and then step out of the way to let the mortician go to work. Everyone make a perception check, please. Uh, dirty 20 for Orv. Nice. Natural 20 for Roga. Nice. Big 11 over here. Lucial, what did you have? 11. 11. Okay, so um, the entire group, as as the body is being moved and being repositioned and placed onto the thing, um, as you can see, like, uh, everything is kind of settling. Um, blood is, you know, like, kind of settling. You smell a pervasive and very strong scent of sweet, sweet alcohol. And it is now that Dev's body is unfrozen, his pores are reeking of alcohol. He And so the Martitian has now uh, just co-opted Orb's journal and is taking down notes and is writing and um, sniffs the, the body and kind of stands up and says, you guys came from good mead? Roga will nod. And does she, having grown up there, would she recognize the scent as good meads? Yes. Also... One of the things that you know specifically about Dev is that he only drank heavily when he was with people that he really trusted. Another thing that you start to see as his body is thawing and as everything is starting to settle and as the mortician is starting to make his examination is that bruises are starting to form. You are starting to see these bruises appear, um, a, f- a fist along the side of the chin. Um, and uh, so the, uh, the mortician is slowly, painstakingly, um, uh, out of deference to Roga and the group, um, unlatching and untying and taking the padded clothing off of Dev rather than cutting it off like he normally would. And so... He lifts Dev's arms, pulls the pulls the padded doublet off, um, unlaces the breeches, and pulls those off. Pulls the the boots off, but you can see enormous bruising uh, all up on up and down his sides. Uh, and Roga, you would know this just because of your martial nature. Like it is clear that Dev had been in a fist fight. Like this. These are the signs of fisticuffs, and um, uh, all along, all along his uh, rib cage, his solar plexus, uh, his fists uh, have defensive wounds that are starting to appear as as this magic has faded from his body, and um, as uh, as you guys are looking at his form and seeing all of these bruises, seeing all of this stuff start to appear, um, you 
hear the mortician gasp. And he is, um, he was in the process of examining the clothing and he holds up a note that he found in the pocket. And um, you can see that this note has uh, something written on it, but the bottom of the note has uh, gotten wet and disintegrated away. So only the, um, the first two lines of the note are legible. And he brings it over and he hands it to the group. Rogo will take it and read it out loud. It says, I know your secret. Meet me in the caves we used to play in as kids tonight, or everyone else will know too. And it is clear that there was more written, but the the thawing process of the body and having it pulled out of the, the pants pocket have destroyed the bottom of the note. Are there any wounds on his back? Just uh, blunt force trauma wounds. Nothing, no scratches, no, no cuts, no slices. Uh, it's all... But- Punches, but on the back as well. Sort of where you would where you would expect to see somebody who has been in uh, like as if they were in a boxing match, right? So that kind of on the sides, not in the center of the back. Nothing um, where he had his back turned and was hit. Right, that's what I was looking for. Right, right. So yeah, no, nothing, nothing on the center of the back, as if he was hit unaware. Kai asks to see the note and wants to really look at it closely to see if there's anything unusual he can identify about the paper, the handwriting, anything. It is written on pretty common paper. Roga and Orv make a perception check as Kai is holding up the paper and looking at it. Six for Orv. Fourteen for Roga. Roga, you you recognize that that paper is pretty commonly used in good mead as packing material. It's the stuff that they would wrap bottles in. Baked bread uh, that is for transit. They would they would wrap it in this sort of paper. It looks it's the it's super common as a means of protection and transit. Would the butcher wrap meat in it? That is very insightful of you, Orv. <laughs> Hmm. While Lucille just asked, do you mind if I tag along? This is also fascinating. You can't help but notice that Lucille seems a little happy and excited. Did Orv say the comment about the butcher out loud? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. A butcher? Orv will fill him in uh, with too much detail. (laughs) (laughs) Like he's going to talk a little bit about the side of beef too and what kind of cow he thinks was being butchered. Kai will follow along, just absolutely riveted. It sounds like we may need to uh, head back to to Goodmead. Uh, I want to I want to see this through. In the interest of expediency, you guys head to the Hook Knucklehead. You speak with many a bartender and a patron, and you get all of their rich, mm-hmm. fantastic backstories, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you. You learn all sorts of different neat things about the town of Bryn Shander and the, the denizens therein. Uh, you wake up the next morning, you are able to collect Bernie, the single rider sled, Roga's wagon, and uh, you are able to collect Dev's body from the mortician and head back to Goodmead. 
it is again a six hour trip and uh, no snow, no blizzard, nothing um, nothing out of the ordinary, which is um, in itself out of the ordinary, uh, given the, the, the Frost Maiden's uh, shenanigans in Icewind Dale lately. Um, but as you return to Goodmeat, your return is met with a bit of excitement and a bit of uh, fanfare, uh, but not in an exciting, like, return the conquering heroes sort of way, but in a people are super interested to find out what happened to Dev because he was such a pillar of the community. And um, there is a group of people sort of gathered at the gates as you come back and as you get into town and they are all kind of clamoring around trying to find out what's going on. So uh, as you return to Goodmead, what would you like to do? I think in the flashback, if you'll let her have it, Roga, while very drunk the night before, still not too drunk where she can't have a conversation, but pretty drunk because she really likes her, her ale and mead, will ask the others, you know, this is a small town, so maybe when we get back, we just don't know what's going on. We just we just pretend like we have no idea. I mean, that sounds good to me. Yeah, Roga's the local, so I think the rest of us would likely be okay with her sort of taking the lead in the investigation and then providing backup as needed. But I think Orv will suggest that we check out the the butcher first. Kai is just quietly staying near the, the wagon and uh, the corpse. So as you are kind of making your way through the crowd and giving your, you know, your, uh, we don't know, like we're still, we're still trying to figure it out. Uh, there's still an ongoing investigation, that sort of vibe. One of the townsfolk comes up to Roga and kind of uh, pulls her aside and, and says, there've been, there've been some rumors uh, flying around and I don't know how to feel about it. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to let you know that there are, there are some people and they are saying that Devden was paying protection money to a bandit crew along the Red Run to East Haven to prevent mead shipments from going missing. And I am worried that I, we all know Dev and Dev Dev wouldn't have paid bandits to do anything like that, so I don't... I am worried that maybe... Maybe the bandits did this to him because he wouldn't pay them. And I don't want to get involved. I just I just thought... Thought that you should know. Roga is getting more and more angry, but not at, not at the person telling her, but just at the thought of what uh, they're accusing him of. And as, as the person trails off, she just explodes, and she's like, he wouldn't do that! You know he wouldn't do that. I know, I know he wouldn't do that. I'm just, look, you have been gone for a day and a half. People talk around here. This is a small community. Like, the kids are frightened. They don't go play anymore. We just need to figure out what's going on. And she nods, like, respectfully but curtly and and kind of makes her way away. Lucial... As you are making your way away from the wagon and over into, you know, like towards where everybody else is, you can see that there are a, a bunch of kids and they are all enamored with how you look. 
and your golden white robes, your white hair. And they are kind of like egging each other on to go over and talk to you. Lucia will patiently wait for one of them to come up to him. <laughs> are you are you making eye contact as this is happening? <laughs> he, he's acting like he didn't notice. Oh, okay. Um, one of the kids runs over and kind of tugs on the sleeve of your robe. Hello, child. Are you a wizard? Oh, heavens, no. I am a sorcerer. Oh, um, but, but you do magic, right? Of course. Um, do you, are you, are you helping to find out what happened to Dev? It's quite an interesting case, wouldn't you agree? Yes. So, and this kid kind of turns and looks at the group of friends that's huddled over, away from, from you two, and, um, she turns around and she says, So, our parents have told us not to go out into the woods until, uh, until things have been figured out with what's going on with Dev, but we, we saw something and we need, we need somebody to know because we think it's magic. We saw a guy walking around in the forest with a bright blue light. And we didn't know what it was, and so we hid. And as he was walking, his lantern, or whatever it was, it wasn't casting like a normal yellow or orange like from a torch or whatever, it was blue. It was a blue light. And we have been told that that's probably magic. And so, since you look like you're magic, we, we, thought, we thought we would tell you. Lucille kneeled down and put his hand on the kid's shoulder. Thank you ever so much. You have aided the investigation. Now here, this is for you. He'll cast dancing lights and have them play with the children with the dancing lights. They are enamored and dance with the lights. Do you make, do you form them into a little glow man? Uh, he'll do the three and have them dance around so the kids can chase them around. It's like cats with lasers. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And of course, he'll tell the group about all of that too. Perfect. Kai, as you are standing over, like, near the sled, near the wagon, uh, you're with Bernie, you're, you're kind of hanging back, and a hand touches your shoulder. As you turn, you see a fellow half-elf, an older woman dressed in exquisite cold-weather gear, white furs embellished with fine embroidery, and a brooch on the outside of her cloak of a golden coin. She sighs, looking at the wrapped body in the back of the wagon, and says... <sighs> I shall very much miss that young man. Dev was a good soul. Do you know, whenever I called upon him for assistance with my owl bear cubs, he was always more than happy to help. Those little ones can be quite a handful. <laughs> oh, but I digress. I do worry about Roka now. She's been a dear friend. I suppose one can only hope everything works out in the end. I think that everything will, will be okay once we get a good handle on what's really going on here. How do you know, Dev? Oh, I've just been here a short while, uh, newly landed, you see. But everyone knows Dev. 
knew him, that is. Mm. He and Roga were the only ones who kept this little speck on the map safe. Uh, when the full militia hasn't been called upon, of course. So. Oh, it eases one's mind to know she's returned. I dare say Goodmead relies on her more than she knows. I agree, and I think that the town will persevere once we've stamped out whatever evil has caused this tragedy. Well, I wish you the very best of luck. May Taimora smile upon you. And he just sort of gives a little bit of a of a smile and like a warm nod. She returns it and pats you on the shoulder, filling you with a little more warmth than you were expecting, then walks away. Roga, as you uh, you are finishing up your conversation with the, the townsfolk who came over and was insisting that there were rumors going around about what Dev was doing with these bandits between Goodmead and East Haven, you can tell, like the group of you can tell that everyone has been itching for you to get back so that they can share the rumors that they have heard and try to help solve this case. And um, another townsperson comes up and says, um, you know, a couple days before Dev left, he left Cobb's shop and Cobb was standing in the doorway, fist raised. And he said that, that Dev was going to regret it. He said he was going to regret it. Roga will look over towards the shop. Is is Cobb outside or standing in the like in the doorway of the shop? Is he even around? As you look at the shop, you can see Cobb looking f- like inside the shop, looking out the window. He notices you look at the shop, and he kind of does that startled jump, <laughs> and then backs away from the window and goes back into like the interior of the shop. Uh, Roga will say, thank you. I think we will go talk to Cobb. Uh, Before she does, though, she would not leave Devden's body in a wagon in the middle of the town. Right. So uh, she would... (laughs) Where would she go to leave Devden's body uh, to start to to get it ready for um, last rites, for his funeral? Down near the shore of Red Waters, there is the Shrine of the Flaming Sword. It's a vacant building now, but uh, it is where when people pass, they're taken there to kind of uh, lie in wait before they are either taken to a cairn or taken to a pyre. And so uh, that would be where Roga would take Dev, would be to the Shrine of the Flaming Sword. So Roga will explain that to uh, her friends and... uh Suggest that they go take his body there and then return to talk to Cobb. And uh, while, as you do that, as you take Deb's body over to the shrine, your father, the town speaker, is there and kind of uh, indicates that he is going to make sure that nothing happens to Deb's body. Yeah, that's Kai's concern is that uh, leaving the body unattended. So yeah, if Roga feels comfortable leaving it there with her father, then Kai will go along with the rest of the group. Otherwise, he would stay and guard it. So after she chats with them for a minute, she'll she'll tell him... Actually, she would tell him that uh, something is going on with Cobb and kind of, not in great detail, but just say that there's more questions that need to be asked and that we're going to go talk to him. Is Cobb roughly the same age as Dev? Uh, roughly, yes. Because the note said, we used to play together, right? Correct. Fascinating... So you guys head over to Garrick's. 
Garrick's butchery. I think Rogo would probably open the door with a bit more force than needed so that it made a loud enough sound for him to come out. I'm just closing up. He kind of pokes his head out from where the office is and and says, oh, um, ah, you've you you have returned. Uh, excellent. Uh, what it, what what did you find? Rogo will say very quietly um, to her friends and say, I think someone else needs to do the talking because I'm having a very hard time staying nice. Well, I'm always nice. So Kai will sort of walk up and say, I, I'm I'm Kai. You must you must be Cobb. Uh, great, pleased to meet you. Uh, can I interest you? Uh, do Do you need to purchase something? No, we're we're here because we're we're looking into what happened to Dev, and um, you seem to be the person who knows the most. So, what can what can you tell us? I don't know about that. Uh, I I you know I I told I told Orv and Roga everything I know uh, about all of this. Um, everybody make an insight check. <laughs> Low DC on this one. Big 15 for Kai. Orv got a 22. 13 for Roga. 5 for Lucial. <laughs> L- Lucial, you are enamored by the different cuts of meat and the different the different things. Mmm, salted meats. <laughs> I imagine that Lucial's just kind of like, not really paying attention to what Cobb is saying, <laughs> and just kind of looking around <laughs> the room. The rest of you, he is visibly nervous, visibly sweating, visibly not having a good time. Orv and Kai give me perception checks. Roga, if you would like to make a perception check, make it with disadvantage. Because you are, you are more seeing red than you yes. are seeing other things. Accurate. Kai seeing a natural one. <laughs> <laughs> Kai is engaged in conversation. Orv is seeing a sixteen. Sixteen. Okay. As you are looking at Cobb, as he is conversing with Kai, uh, you can see that there is just a a slight, like a bead of sweat. Uh, running down his the side of his face, and as it hits kind of the like that the apple of the cheek there, like that that where you would normally see a rosy glow, as the sweat kind of keeps rolling down, collecting into a bigger and bigger and bigger drop, and then it finally rolls the rest of the way down his face, leaving a, just a the slightest trail through a bit of makeup on his face. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so Lucial, having biffed his perception and his insight check, just steps forward and says, Our investigation has led us to believe that someone his age, who used to play with him, that knows him well, is implicated in his death. Do you know anyone else who fits that description? That's a, that's a very good question. <laughs> he says, Look, I wanted him to get that polar bear meat. It's a delicacy. I had buyers. I had buyers. I took payment in advance. Roga steps forward and pushes him up against the wall. I didn't. I He did not want to do it. And I was frightened. And so I followed him. And I found out that he wasn't hunting when he went on his trips. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know where he was going. 
but he wasn't hunting because he was paying other hunters to hunt for him. I followed him and I saw him exchange money for racks of game that he brought to me and I wanted to know more. So I confronted him about it. That's that's all I know. Um, Jason, I've got a couple things that I want to do. Okay. Uh, So Orv is going to pull uh, like a a stoppered small flagon from inside his jacket, and he's going to hand it up to Lucial and give Lucial like a real, ooh boy, you should probably take a swig of this. Like, really gesture to it and uh, try to get Lucial to drink some of it. <laughs> Lucial, he had his, his hands tented as he was making his point. And he looks down at Orv and he takes the flagon and... Interesting. And he just chugs it. So, I mentioned before how artificers, like, use objects to cast their magic and their magic is expressed through these objects. Orv casts all of his... Um, all of his magic through the beer that he brews. So Lucial just drank uh, Orv's Now You Know Ale. Hashtag beer magic. Which has the message cantrip (laughs) on it. That's amazing. So I love this so much. (laughs) So good. (laughs) So uh, uh, Brad, you hear in your head, or Lucial in your head, you hear Orv say... Uh, this fella's wearing a bunch of makeup, uh, and I think uh, getting rid of that might be a good idea. You look like the kind of fella that has a handkerchief. You should uh, let him know that he's got something on his face and, and try to wipe a bunch of it off. We can see what's underneath. Uh, Lucio respond, um... Well, normally I prefer wine. <laughs> but that was very good. <laughs> and then he'll take a handkerchief and, and he'll walk up to the... to Cobb. And he'll, he's being held up, right, to the wall? Yes, he's being held up to the wall by Roga. And he'll, oh, you have something on your face there. And he'll scrub his face with the handkerchief. <laughs> so as you scrub his face with the handkerchief, um, you can see that there are bruises on his face. As if he has been in a fistfight. Why is it that you're so bruised up? <sighs> well, you know, um, uh, he kind of, he's got his hands on top of Roga's wrists uh, as he's being held up and he's like you know uh, just wrestling with these animals uh, is not always um, an easy an easy task um, you know things things happen you get kicked in the face a couple times Roga will lean forward and start to press uh, her forearm into his throat meanwhile yeah meanwhile Orv is really columbo in him again he's like oh I'm sure that's it but you know what's weird is that uh, Dev had a bunch of the same bruises all over his face I'm sure that's just a quinky dink look look, I'm channeling Glando (laughs) Empire Strikes Back that was pretty good yeah I didn't have a choice. Um, <laughs> like, look, just go out to the cave. Just go out to the cave. You'll find out. You'll just go out to the cave. Roga will drop him. Just go out to the cave. You'll see. You'll see. Roga storms out and slams the door behind her. 
Lucille looked down on him and say, Is this a trap? Do you intend to have us be frozen by the blue light as well? You guys look like you can handle it. Do you know what it is? I don't. No, I don't. Hmm. Pathetic. And then he'll leave too. <laughs> oh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, just scathing. <laughs> now I really like him. I wasn't sure, but now I really yeah, like him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kai will get down and look at Cobb and make eye contact and he's going to say a, a quick prayer and um, cast cure wounds on Cobb and along with that he'll say I, I want to believe that you're a good person and don't have any part of this you're not giving me a whole lot of reason to think that what are we going to find in that cave and in those woods? He looks up at you and he says, I tell you this from the bottom of my heart. I honestly do not know what it was. Uh, Roga is sitting on a bench outside of the shop and she has her eyes closed and her, her hands on her knees and she's taking deep breaths. Um... And I think so she would see uh, Lucio first and as as he comes out and she'll just look up at him and look very sad and say, I I never lose my temper like that. Not not with my people. I I've never done anything like that. And it's because it's Dev, you know, it's because it's Dev. Do I go apologize? I can't apologize. He probably had something to do with it. And she'll take another deep breath and just kind of stare off a little bit. Lucio will, like, nod. Try try to nod sagely, if you can. And he'll say, Well, it, if if he was involved, then maybe he isn't one of your people anymore. <laughs> Roga looks up at that and nods. So Kai would be the next one out of the building? Yeah, and Kai left Bernie over at the, um, at the shrine is to sort of so it's just Kai you know the dog okay. is over the dog and, and Kai's uh, little sled are over parked at the shrine and, and he told Bernie to keep an eye on things while he was gone uh, so Kai will just head out and say I think we need to see what's in those woods alright do you gather your party before venturing forth uh, Orv is Orv is ready to go Orv is looking to not only solve this mystery but also to try to generate some good nature with the people of good mead so that he could possibly get some tips on the recipe for good mead. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. You guys start heading out towards um, the cave. Roga, you know exactly where this cave is. Right. You played there as a child. Um, Dev played there as a child. The kids these days, they all played there as a child. Um, as you are heading out there, uh, please make uh, everyone... Uh, no, 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 sorry. Um, Orv and Roga make nature checks. Um, Kai and Lucial make perception checks, please. No, 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 19 for Roga. I swear this is going to stop happening. Six. Six for Orv. Okay, so Orv, over the last few days, you have been uh, 
pretty much indoors, uh, researching, doing things like that. You haven't really been out in the elements. Uh, Roga, you have been. You know that no snow has fallen between the time that Dev's body was discovered and now. So for three days? Correct. So that would be a very long time, right, for that area? Right, yes. No snow has fallen. Uh, It's been roughly... We'll call it, we'll round up and call it five days from the time that his body was found to the time that you were heading out there now. No fresh snow has fallen. She'll remark about that as they walk. Um, Kai and Lucial, how are your perception checks? 13. Uh, 13. As you guys are walking and as Roga is is uh, commenting about the lack of fresh snow, uh, you both notice off in the off in the like uh, the the drift of snow along this kind of path that you're walking along underneath a tree there is a small fox caught in a trap what kind of trap uh, it's a, a like a leg trap like a not not as large as a bear trap but it is a small like clamp down on the leg trap and it's kind of yanking at it and trying to get its leg out of it Orv is going to look around at, at the rest of the group and be like, Why? Well, I, I think we can probably let the little guy go away. Roga puts a hand on his shoulder and says, That's, that's not our trap, friend. You don't, you don't mess with other people's work. Uh, Kai says, We, we must at, at least end its suffering. Roga gestures towards it uh, to see what they'll do. So Orv will, he's going to take his dagger out and he's going to say, Oh, I'll, I'll take care of it then. Uh, and he'll approach, but he, he doesn't intend to actually end the suffering of the fox. He's going to let it go from the trap and then respond with, oh, no, it, it got away. <laughs> That's as too it bad. Starts, as it limps slowly bad, away. <laughs> oh, look at it run there. Yeah. <laughs> too fast for the rest of us. And he's like shooing it. <laughs> <laughs> if only there were something we could do. <laughs> so uh, you pop the trap open it yanks its foot out and kind of shakes it like shakes the foot like ow and then uh, yes it does kind of lope away but slower than it normally would because it does have an injured foot but it, it kind of loops away and you you lose it in the snow uh, as it, it as it bounds away that was well intentioned she says to Orv. I can just see him like raising his hands with the dagger and it's like, oops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's exactly what he says. He he gives an oh. Oh. <laughs> you continue along your uh, along your path, winding through the forest. It's a it's a decent hike, right? Like this the reason why this cave is so popular with the kids is that it's far enough away from the town to be their secret you know like it's it's their uh like every generation of kids that come that grows up here has some sort of imaginary uh action happening out here near this cave around the like there's a series of caves but you know like this area and uh as you're wandering through and you're making your way and roga as you're heading out here like you 
you are flooded with a bunch of memories of when you were mm. a kid and when you were running out here and you were doing all these things. Yeah, and and she'll share some of those stories about her and Dev. Like that's part of her way of trying to 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 grieve a bit. Is she's telling silly stories about her and Dev playing out here. And uh, so as you're telling these stories and as you guys are making your way, it's you know, it takes you guys a good. 30, 45 minutes to, to wander through the forest and you know, like you're getting deeper into the forest and nearer to this cave and you see the fox kind of is standing on the, the drift of this little path in front of you and sitting on top of the, of the fox as if riding it like, a, like it's its mount is uh, a little um, chingua. Oh my god. A chingua? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Roga does not know what that is, but I appreciate this very much. Also, what does the fox say? <laughs> what does the fox say? <laughs> so the fox kind of the fox kind of chitters, and uh, the chinga kind of nudges it to come over, and uh, you can see that it's just it's this little elemental spirit. It's tiny, like it's it's small on top of this already small fox. And um, it, like six inches tall, and uh, its face looks like a little mask, and it looks up at you, says something, like chitters something, into the ear of the fox, and the fox kind of motions, nods its head at Orv, and the Twinga takes a little bit of snow and packs it into this it like this itty bitty little snowball and throws it at Orv. (laughs) And Orv, you get hit with this tiny little piece of snow and you feel something kind of warm inside you. Orv, you are uh, given the charm of the ice troll by this Twinga. This charm allows you to use your reaction when you take cold damage to reduce that damage to zero. You then regain a number of hit points equal to half of the cold damage that you would have taken. And once you use this, the charm vanishes. Kai's fascinated by this and witnessing it. Does he think that he just saw something good? Yes, yes. Everything everything about this feels like it's a good thing. Yeah, Orv, Orv gives him a thumbs up. The, the little Twinga, like, reaches down and pets the fox and uh, turns and kind of pops back into the forest. So I think Roga would know from the people of Goodmead, having come from Cholt, to have heard stories about what she just saw. Yes. Uh, and, turn, and turn to Orv and say, I think you're charmed, my friend. I've never seen one of those. Yeah, Roga, you would have heard stories about Twingas, and I'm sure that, like, as kids, kids go out and try to hunt for Twingas. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, kind of like the snipe hunt, but it's, but it's real. You know, like there are real things that they're out there looking for. But Twingas are very good at um, staying hidden unless they want to be seen. And so, the fact that you were able to save its mount, its little fox mount, made it feel grateful enough to come out and give you that charm. Now, you guys approach the cave. And uh, Roga has explained that there is no, there's been no snow for the past five days. Everybody roll investigation as you near the mouth of the cave. Or we've got a 15 on investigation. Uh, 15 as well for Roga. 
10 for Kai. 10 for Lucial as well. Lucial and Kai, you guys are away from the mouth of the cave. And you find over in a tree near a clearing, um, you find a sword hanging from the tree and uh, armor stacked neatly at the base of the tree. Cold, uh, covered with some frost from the, from the temperatures outside, but not snowed on and not damaged in any way. And what do you mean by hanging? And how is it hanging from the tree? So, uh, like the, um, the, the sword belt with the frogs and all of that stuff uh, has been, it looks like it has been deliberately taken off, rebuckled, and hung from a branch above where this armor is stacked at the base of the tree. Like chest height? Uh, yeah, give or take. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, as I'm picturing it in my head, it's like as you walk up, it's you see it just below your eye line. This, you know, like you can't miss it. There's this sword hanging there with a belt and all of the trappings and then uh, this stack of armor pieces. Leg armor, shoulder, chest, like all of the different parts that somebody in the militia would wear. Are there any footprints in, on, or around this area? Yes. So there are plenty of footprints. So um, Roga and Orv, the footprints that you see coming in and out of the cave, mainly children, mainly kids coming in and out. Um, but there are three main sets of adult-sized footprints. Um, three distinct sets. And then, over near the clearing, um, where Kai and Lucial are looking, there is also a set of bear prints. So Kai is going to yell, not too loudly, but loud enough that he thinks he'll get Roga's attention. Is, is this Dev's armor? And Roga walks over and nods. And yes, Yes, it is. And um, so, yes, as Kai, as you and Roga are inspecting Dev's armor, because it is Dev's armor, uh, Lucial, you're looking at these bear prints that you can see in the in the clearing. And the bear prints are missing a claw on the left paw of where this bear has been moving around in this clearing. And you can clearly see that there was a fight between the biggest of the set of feet prints, like footprints, and where this bear was here. Bear missing the middle claw of its left paw. So Lucio will look back to Roga, who just came up to identify the armor, and say, Did your friend have the capacity to turn into a bear? Roga is not good at lying, but she stays quiet and starts to blush a bright red. Orville say, Oh, I'd be pretty embarrassed to admit something like that. Lucy will just say, Why? That sounds incredible. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> Does he actually say wink? No, that was me. Yes! <laughs> I, I was winking at the camera for Doran. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Roga will uh, take a deep breath and say, yes, he was uh, cursed. That was not a gift that was given to him. Uh, 
and it's something that we both knew nobody else knew about. Um, so please keep that secret as well. But that was part of who he was. Orville say, Yeah, I feel like it barely even matters. Ruga sighs. Orv, Lucial, Kai, please make perception checks. Four. Six. For Orv. Thirteen for Kai. As Roga is explaining this this part of her friend, um, Lucial and Orv, you guys are both engrossed in the story. Like, you guys are both listening. Kai, you are still kind of taking note of what's happening around you. And you see a blue light shining in the woods heading towards you. How far away? A decent distance close. Like, it's it's close and it's coming closer. Uh, let me know when it's within 60 feet. As Yes, as you guys are having this conversation, you're examining the armor, you're examining the sword. It is Dev's sword. It is Dev's armor. Um... You have noodled through that the bear prints are actually probably dev in bear form, given that there is the missing claw. Um, this light is getting closer, and Kai, it reaches within 60 feet of you. Can I see a creature with the light or anything like that? Yes. You see a tall humanoid figure wrapped in... Uh, what looks like torn and tattered clothes and uh, like a like a cloak. And if you didn't know any better, you would think that this is just some zombie that was lumbering towards you, except that from every crack of this monsters, this beings, um, clothing, like everywhere that there's an opening of clothing, bright blue light is shining out. This is when I start getting a real John Carpenter vibe. <laughs> Can uh, Lucille do a history check to try to figure out what it might be? Sure. Ooh, I rolled a 19. So, 24. Nice. So, yes, you have been in the Ten Towns long enough to have heard about these things. This is a cold light walker. And um, you know that some humanoids who have died from extreme cold but whose spirits languish in the mortal world become cold light walkers, burning with frigid fury at the meaningless of life. Their frost-bitten corpses emit a spectral light so intense that mortal eyes can barely stand to look at them. They typically wear the clothing in which they died. Some say that gods that personify winter create cold light walkers as embodiment of winter's wrath. These hateful spirits were denied passage to the afterlife and are preserved in their current forms to remind the living of how fragile life can be. And I need everyone to roll initiative. Lucio doesn't say all that, but he does tell everyone what it is. <laughs> See, I knew this would happen. Five Faroga. Orv got an 18. Kai got an 18. Orv, what is your uh, dexterity modifier? Plus one. Kai got an 18 with a minus one dex. Let's see, uh, a 13 over here. <laughs> got it. Okay, Orv, you are able to act first as this cold light walker pushes its way through the forest into this clearing. 
and is stalking toward you guys. It is now about 40 feet away from where the group is standing. Orva is going to reach into his jacket and he's going to pull out another one of those stoppered flagons. And this one just has a big skull and crossbones on the outside of it. And he's going to pop open the lid and he's going to take a whiff and like recoil back from it. And then he's going to hurl it in the direction of the uh, light walker. Is that what you said? Cold light walker. Cold light walker. And anyone who's done any home brewing knows what happens when you contaminate a batch of beer. (laughs) Strange things grow inside. But when you contaminate a batch of magical beer... It gets even worse. So this is uh, the effect of this. The effect of my really contaminated brew is ray of sickness. Ooh. Nice. Oh, no, 11. All right, so it hits, uh, you hit nearby, but you miss the target itself. All right, the um, the cold light walker, seeing this flask uh, streak toward it, crash into the clearing next to it and explode in some sort of noxious, fumy stuff, turns and focuses its gaze upon you. And it walks, like starts just stalking towards you. Um, I need, Orv, I need you to make a constitution saving throw, please. Oh no, my constitution bonus is not great. There we go, I got a 19 total. Okay, so as as this walker turns its face towards you, the light emanating from this hood is so bright that it, it forces you to kind of look away. And you do so in time, and you feel like, had you kept your eyes on it, had you kept your gaze on it for just a second longer, you would not be able to see. And it stalks towards you, and it raises a hand, and it rolls a natural one. Ah! Ah! <laughs> and you, you feel, you feel a bolt of just cold pass you. Kai, what would you like to do? Kai is going to first off cast bless at second level, so I'll bless everyone in the party. Then he's going to cast Spiritual Weapon, so he'll grab his prayer beads and he'll close his eyes and start muttering a little bit of a prayer, and you'll see above this creature a huge bare-knuckle fist of Ilmater uh, that's going to take a swing. And the attack roll on that is a 22. That'll hit. Eight damage, and it's force. It takes the hit and kind of takes a step back and then turns its gaze towards you. The walker is now about 20 feet from all of you. Uh, so you use your bonus action, you use your main action. Uh, would you like to move? I'm staying as close to the rest of the group as possible. So if, I, if we're not all bunched together, then I'm going to move over towards the majority of the people. Uh, Lucio, you're up. So what Lucio will do is he will reach into his inner dragon soul and his eyes will glow red and his hands will light on fire. He'll point at the cold light walker and cast Scorching Ray. So it's a ranged spell attack for three rays. It's a 21, 11, 
and a 14. So two out of three hit. Four D6 fire damage. Jeez. That's 12 fire damage. Nice. Orv will start playing with his next flagon and just kind of mumbling to himself. Well, don't worry about it. I don't feel inferior to that. (laughs) (laughs) As your scorching rays hit this walker, uh, pieces of its clothing start to burn and start to smolder, but then are quickly, quickly extinguished as the cold emanating from it um, kind of seizes these flames and and douses them uh, down. But where those where that flyer kind of um, created more holes in the clothing, more light is starting to pour out. Any bonus action, any movement? Yes, then he will uh, walk around the tree that has uh, Dev's equipment mm-hmm. and get the tree in between him and the cold light walker so he can't do any gaze attacks. Got it. All right. Roga. Roga will uh, draw her glaive, and as she does, um, I think everybody's pretty much in front of her, they all hear a, a howl come from her direction and would be surprised to see that it was coming from her. So as a bonus action, I would like to rage. Yes, please. As she does, uh, her her face starts to transform a bit into like a wolfish snout, and she's got very long fangs. And with a roar, she closes the distance and uh, takes an attack with her glaive. And it is, I don't know if it matters, but it is magic. Kai's eyes got real big when you started to look like a wolf. (laughs) 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 Uh... What's going on here? Uh, but unfortunately, that is a 11 to hit. Is that with the blessing? No, thank you. Come on, big four. It's a four. Uh, so 15. Thank you. Uh, so that will be 1d10 damage. 13 points of damage. 13. Uh, and whenever she closed the distance... Um, if anyone else is still in, like, melee up against this creature, she would do everything she could narratively to put herself between them because uh, she's trying to protect the rest of the group. Right. So the other three members of your party are, oops, all casters. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're all squishy. <laughs> so you're, you're up against it. Uh, so you bonus action rage, attack, movement, uh, orf. There is a now raging barbarian with some wolfish features and a gigantic glaive attacking this walker. Um, could you tell me real quickly uh, a little bit more about the landscape we're in? Are there stones and rocks? There are. So uh, picture, if you will, um, you've got, if you were looking at directly at the cold light walker, you're in a clearing of trees, right? So um, the, the stereotypical like circular clearing uh, a couple of stones here and there, but it's mainly clear. It looks like this is where, like, the kids would, would play fight and, you know, sword fight with sticks and things like that. To your immediate uh, left and behind you is where the cave is. Um, but out in front of you, just big clearing. The walker came from the forest on the other side of the clearing, came into the clearing, and then closed the distance um, to be within 20 feet of you, Orv, and then as um, now it's still in that same spot. Orv reaches into his coat once again, uh, but this time he pulls out a glass flask, and with one thumb he, he pops the, the lid off of it, and he looks at the walker, and he says, how do you feel about something with a kick? And he drinks it, 
and that's going to cast Catapult, which <laughs> lets him choose one object weighing one to five pounds within range that isn't being worn or carried. Range is 60 feet. That object flies in a straight line up to 90 feet in a direction you choose uh, before falling to the ground, stopping early if it impacts against a solid surface. The solid surface, in this case, uh, the cold white walker. If the object would strike a creature, that creature must make a dexterity saving throw. On a failed save, the object strikes the target and stops moving. When the object strikes something, the object and what it strikes each take 3d8 bludgeon damage. Pretty. All right, so dexterity save for our cold light walker. Dexterity save for the cold light walker. There we go. That is a 13 on the dice. Uh, no. So 13 total. 12 damage. What did you have fly through the air? A stone. All right. The, uh, the, the cold light walker kind of shudders as it gets hit by this thing, and the, the cloak around its shoulder kind of falls a little bit, and more light kind of springs out, and um, it looks at you, Orv, and then turns its gaze back at Roga, who's up in its face. Uh, any bonus action, any movement for you, Orv? I'm going to try to create a little bit more distance between myself and the Cold Light Walker. I still want to be within, I want to be like 35 feet away from it. Got it. Okay. As you do that, you move away. The walker turns and full face at Roga. Uh, Please make a constitution save. Seven. All right. You are blinded until the start of the walker's next turn. Oh, man. And it kind of pushes you away and uh, stalks towards Orv reaches out again with its cold and uh, that is uh, let's see, uh, 16 to hit. Oh yeah, that's enough. (laughs) You take Oh, do I have enough d10s? What? Let's just count. (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh no. It's 4d10. Oopsie poopsies. Oh, I was like, I'm gonna soak this one and save my blessing, but I might use it. Uh, So you get hit for 24 cold. Yikes. You feel, you you just get hit square in the chest with this, with this blast. And it fills you, it fills you with cold. Like you feel your fingers start to, start to just tingle with this cold. I, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna soak it. I'm gonna, I have 27 hit points. Oh man. So I'm gonna soak that first one and I'm gonna save my charm because the next one, if I get hit again, the next one will heal me. Yeah. Jason, when it moved away from me, even though I'm blinded, do I get an opportunity attack? Is it moved away? Yes, at disadvantage. Cool. 11. 11 misses. Okay. Yeah, so I have three hit points left. <laughs> Excellent. But I'm going to say, um, I'm going to, as Orv, Orv is going to say, oh, that wasn't very ice. <laughs> God. <sighs> All right, Kai, <laughs> you are up. Kai's a little torn under this normal situation. He'd want to do a little bit of healing, but um, how far am I? From the two that are that have been engaged in melee. So if Orv backed up 15 feet, um, 
and it closed the distance to be within to still be within 20 um, so you are you are roughly about 30 feet away from the walker and about 40 35 ish 40 feet away from Orv himself I am going to move over to Roga and um, I am going to cast um, Lesser Restoration to remove the, the blinded condition. Oh, wow. Thank you. My bonus action is going to be I will have Omater's Fist take another swing. To hit's going to be a minimum 24. All right. Give me that damage. Seven. The, uh, the walker stumbles and uh, like drops to a knee as you hit it with the fist of Ilmater and then straightens back up and turns away from Orv and towards Kai and Roga. Uh, do you want to continue movement? No, I will stay there next to Roga. All right, Lucial, you are behind the tree. If you have your back to the tree, the walker would be to your right. If you were facing the tree, the walker would be to your left. At about, what, 35 feet at this point? 25, 30 feet, give or take, given its position between you or the, yeah. Is there any other convenient cover in between Lucio and the walker? No, nothing convenient. Well, <laughs> so Lucio will step out and he'll, once again, reach into the depths of his sorcerer power. And he will cast Nazar's Scorcher. A line of roaring flame 30 feet long and 5 feet wide emanates from you in a direction you choose. Each creature must make a dexterity saving throw. So a flamethrower. It'll just make a, a, a line of melted snow and destruction all the way to the guy. All right, so that is a seven on the dice for the cold light walker. Yeah, I don't think so. All right, give me that, give me that sweet, sweet Agonazar Scorcher damage. So 18 damage. The light from inside this walker has been getting brighter and brighter and brighter the more damage that he has been taking. And with the with the immense power of this hitting it square in the in the back, a lot of its clothing has burned away before the cold put those flames out. And so it's just bright and it's there, but it looks like it's on its last leg. Roga, what would you like to do? Roga is furious about being blinded, so she will close the distance and strike recklessly with her glaive. Uh, and needs to use that d4, which is a <laughs> uh, 13, 17 to hit. 17 hits, yes. Nice. Okay, so that is eight points of damage. And with polearm mastery, she flips uh, the, the polearm up and strikes with the bottom piece, which has a sharpened point for 24 points. Or, sorry, 24 to attack. Oh, and she crowd. just obliterates it. Yeah. <laughs> she kills it. No. Um, oh, yeah. That that will also hit. Oh, nice. Uh, seven points of damage. All right. So with those two attacks, as you bring the blade of the glaive up through it, it kind of stumbles backwards and uh, again drops to that knee. And then as you flip it around and put the uh, put the pointy end through it you feel this wash of cold just kind of explode out from the body of this walker and this bright flash of light explodes out and it slumps the light goes out and you see this absolutely just frozen solid corpse surrounding your glaive uh she tries to shake it off (laughs) (laughs) um 
you feel like it would you would probably need to take a hammer to it and like uh, like you would with something that was frozen with liquid nitrogen like hit it and shatter it she uh it, her rage ends i believe as as it is dead and says uh, guys can you help me get my glaive back so as as soon as kai has the opportunity he's going to uh, say a prayer to Ilmater and channel divinity um, touching Orv and uh, that will heal up to half of his hit points. So you'll essentially be at half your, your maximum fletch. Uh, Orv will try to make up the difference uh, or a little bit more of the difference as he pulls out another flask and it has the good stuff written on it. Uh, and that will cast Cure Wounds upon him. And he'll hear, heal up for another eight. And you still have the charm. That's right. After this battle, as you collect Dev's equipment, his sword, his armor, um, and you do another cursory pass through the cave, you can see that there are uh, two small glasses and a couple of bottles of uh, vintage of mead that is indeed about 20-ish years old. Old enough to have been uh, bottled when Dev was a teenager. As the party uh, collects Dev's items, uh, finds the bottle, finds the two glasses in the cave. Um, they return to good meat. And uh, what you did not realize is that while you were heading out to the cave to go investigate and find out what had happened, um, the group of children followed you. And as soon as they saw the fight with the walker break out, they ran back to town. And as you make your way through the forest and back in towards the, the, the gates of the city, you can see that the militia has been marshaled. And they're, way, and they're there and like on their way out towards the forest as if to come aid you. And... Uh, Roga, your dad, your father, the, the town speaker, comes out and with a, a look of relief and just uh, all signs of, oh, like, thank goodness that you guys are back and that you guys are safe. And um, this enormous crowd has gathered and um, a person pushes their way through the crowd and you see that it's Cobb. It's the the butcher. And he comes over and kind of breaks down and does the stereotypical end of an investigation confession that he confronted Dev about the fact that he wouldn't go kill this polar bear that he saw in the forest so that he could make some extra coin on this exotic meat that he had promised some of his customers. And he pressed and pressed, and then when he found out that, that Dev had been hiring hunters to go hunt for him when he was supposed to be out hunting, um, Dev got really mad and 
told him to drop it. And so he decided that he was going to confront him um, in person about all of this. And so Cobb gave Dev a note to say that I know the secret of you buying meat from other hunters. Meet me at the caves so that we can discuss it. They went out to the cave. They had a fist fight. Dev won the fist fight and they decided to just put this whole thing behind them. And they went into the cave and they dug out the bottles of vintage mead that they had hidden there as kids. And they sat and they drank the mead and they got super drunk and reminisced about old times. And that's when the walker found them. Dev told Cobb to run and to get away. He turned into the werebear to fight the walker, and that's the last that Cobb ever saw him. And he was so stricken with grief and with anguish about what happened, he knew that if anybody found out that they had gone out and had a fist fight, that he would be the number one prime suspect in his murder. And so he just tried to keep his mouth shut. Roga, is there anything... Uh, how Roga, how do you respond? I think at this point she would be forgiving um, because she doesn't blame him for Dev's death. And so she would probably... Uh, put an arm around him. He accepts it. And the town joins in Roga in taking Dev and uh, putting his armor on him and uh, laying him in a cairn with his sword. There is a, a very lovely ceremony. Um, the, uh, the town speaker oversees it and asks Kai to help perform some of the rites as he is a cleric of Ilmater. And after all of that is over, after everything has been finished, you four are in the Mead Hall. As you are tipping back a post-investigation celebratory drink, you are approached by a small figure. You turn away from the bar and face a goblin wearing a long leather coat over a rough flannel shirt the tips of his ears still a bit blue from being out in the bitter cold, the green of his skin kind of odd in contrast to everyone else inside the mead hall. He clears his throat and says, <clears throat> uh, Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Max, Maximilian Murphy. I understand that you guys are pretty good at solving things around here. He holds out a business card and jerks his thumb over his shoulder at a halfling sitting at a table a few feet away. My colleague and I are trying to locate an old friend, and I was wondering if we might ask for your help. Uh, older half-elf, well-to-do, last seen dressed in white furs, heading north out of Luskin. Calls herself the Countess. Have you uh, run into anyone that fits that description by chance? And with that, we end our foray into Icewind Dale in the Ten Towns. I'm Jason, your DM this week, and I would love to say a huge thank you to you for listening and to all of the other shows who have played along in the new book, The Rime of the Frost Maiden, with us this week. Please do not miss out on those other shows. They are fantastic. Be sure to catch Red Moon Roleplaying, One Shot Onslaught, Dice Shame, and our friends, the Venture Maidens, with special podcasts of the Frost Maiden episodes leading up to D&D 
celebration this weekend. As always, I have a lot of thank yous before we go. First and foremost, thank you to the entire D&D team over at Wizards of the Coast for allowing us to not only read the book ahead of time, but for allowing us to play and produce these shows. It's always super fun to get to do stuff with the community, and I cannot wait to play more games in this setting. And don't you worry, we are going to be revisiting Icewind Dale very soon. Next, a gigantic thank you to Tabletop Audio. I got to use a bunch of tracks that I don't normally use with the cold and frostiness of Icewind Dale, and it's great having access to all of that sound and music. If you have an extra dollar a month, go join their Patreon. Patrons get access to all the alternate tracks, including music only or ambiance only. We've been patrons for a few years now, and we make great use of those tracks. So check them out, tabletopaudio.com. Finally, thank you to our sponsor, Bugbear Bubbles, home of the world-famous gelatinous cube soap and soon the fireball bath bomb complete with eight fiery d6 inside and the class themed d20 soap on a rope if you want to find out more be sure to hit up the website bugbearbubbles.com where every time you wash your hands can be an adventure and make sure that you let them know that you heard about them on adventure they wrote again thank you for listening Thank you for playing along here in Icewind Dale. Go check out the other shows in the podcast of the Frostmaiden series and tune in next time for more mystery. Side note, have we heard the mortician's name? We have not. I keep waiting. <laughs> he is he is just the mortician. Okay, so let's rewind a little bit. So Kai will look at the mortician and say, I'm, I'm sorry, what was your name? He looks up at you and he says, Mortimer? <laughs> oh, Mortimer. Uh, Mortimer should... Orva's going to interrupt, and he's going to ask, Well, Mortimer, where are you from? What brings you to Bryn Shander? <laughs> Tell us about your rich backstory. <laughs> <laughs> what's your... Hey, Mortimer, what's your favorite food? Why did I not expect this? I feel like he's been waiting for this moment. How are your parents? How are your folks doing? Have you always been a mortician? <laughs> Where did you go to school? What do you think of this weather we've got going on out there? Boy, oh boy. <laughs> he he straightens up and kind of pulls his little tunic down. And he's like, well, when I was growing up, I had this absolutely morbid fascination with dead bodies. I would never take a life, but I was fascinated with the the rodents that my cat would catch and with the things that I found around the house and my parents were very disturbed. Um, they were uh, Bob and Lucy um, <laughs> Timur and... Oh, so so wait, your, your name is more Timur. <laughs> oh, yes. Just... Just call, me, just call me Morty. Um, <clears throat> he grew up in Baldur's Gate and um, was fascinated and went to mortician school and realized that, that he could probably make a killing up here in Icewind Dale. And um, with, you know, all of the all the dead bodies, you know. And uh, he traveled up here years before the Frost Maiden started making her nightly flight um, and turning the world into an everlasting darkness. And uh, ever since, he just hasn't been able to bring himself to leave. Um, he gets he gets mail from his parents uh, on occasion. They let him know about all of the things that his cat his uh, his cat who is still alive with um, uh, an unnaturally long life the the the, the things that 
that the cat brings to his parents, uh, waiting, waiting for his return so that he can autopsy them as well. Orville say, oh, that's nice. And then he'll look around at everyone else in the room and just with like a real congenial sort of like positive face, he'll say, you know, I bet you everyone we meet on this here adventure will have just as much interesting stories to tell us about their background and history on Faerun. <laughs> God damn it. And then as as me, as Fletch, I will apologize to Sam for interrupting him, but I was not going to let that opportunity pass. <laughs> no, there's no way you can let that pass. That is... <laughs> that is three seasons of torture vindicated. <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait to put that at the end of the episode. 